We are once again hearing calls for Bitcoin to drop back into the 20,000s, at least into the low 30,000s. Are we all a bit overexcited with the claims that this is a massive bull market? Is there another retracement yet to come? We also have a lot to talk about since it is Macro Monday. We've got oil prices spiking. We've got Chinese problems ever grand, of course, liquidating, and a whole lot of news and inflation numbers coming this week. I'm not sure an hour is going to be enough, so let's get started. That's dope. What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel. Hit that like button. I'm going to bring everybody on. We've got James, Dave in the car and muted, and Mike McGlone. Guys, I was just saying before we started here that this is one of those weeks where I open up on Monday morning, the Bloomberg key events this week to look for my recap of what's happening, and it doesn't even fit on one screen. <laughs> it's like everything comes together in a single week. You know, Bank of England, we've got uh, FOMC, a million other things here from multiple countries. How do we even uh, summarize this? I I'm hoping Mike's just going to tell me it's all noise. Well, I think we should start by bashing Dave because he can't respond. He's muted. I think it's a perfect opportunity to take advantage. <laughs> I figured I'd get response yeah. to that. But so you, you saw the headlines. It's one thing I enjoyed since being in the business is sometimes you just have to assume I've been used to dealing with institutions, clients, institutional clients my whole career is you just have to assume they already kind of get all know all that. Um, first thing I'll point out is about what's happening. The, the market in crude oil is completely priced for and expecting um, supply disruptions and issues in the Middle East. It's priced for it. It's, I, I, the average price of crude oil for me now is about 20% above compared to other commodities. Now, we got a little bit of that event and very similar to what happened when there was the attack on the significant attack on Saudi Arabia's infrastructure in 2019. Prices popped up and now they're back down. Wait, traders are just waiting for this. And they're just, you can see that in crude oil because they're not net short in positions. Now, in, future, in, in grains, they're extremely net short because supplies there. That's the key place in all commodities. There's supply estimate, estimate revisions are upward and demand estimate revisions are downward, certainly from GDP. So where does that go? But I wanted to tilt over a little bit because to me, that's just a signal that I'm still extremely bearish crude oil. Just look at natural gas. It's the same price as 1990 in this example. I'm bearish all commodities and good reason. Just look at China. But I want to tilt over to, I think, where James is top of what really is going to matter this week. And that is what I heard is the Super Bowl of for treasuries. It's the refunding, the Fed announcement, um, the unemployment number. Um, and and the announcement for, you know, the refunding, how they're going to be funding the debt. And I think either James or I think James, that's kind of more your space. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, thank you. I, I agree with you, Mike. And and oil is is kind of it's it's curious, you know, because you see as everybody's looking at it and saying, well, as escalations uh, occur in the in the Middle East, why are these prices not spiking? But then you've got the flip side of well, demand and supply. You've got demand down and supply up, so it it, it it's interesting. So it's it's something I'm definitely watching too, and I'll be asking you about, but. As far as the Treasury is concerned, yeah, we, we know what happened uh, back in, uh, it was September, October, the last time uh, that that 
should that Yellen had surprised the market a little bit with just the amount, the sheer amount of treasuries that the that the U.S. Treasury had to issue, and so everybody's looking at this and wondering just how much runway they need and how much they have on the short-term T-bills. So, what you're looking for here is how what percentage first of all how much are they going to need like what are their needs which they where there should be an announcement today on that just what are the overall needs and then how are they going to fill those needs and that'll come out a couple of days later which is are they going to continue to issue t-bills which is drawing money out of the reverse repo out of the money market funds and uh and avoiding uh dipping into reserves and just how much runway do they have if they if these if these uh, auctions are starting are starting to get outsized, especially on the longer end, then you know that we're going to have to dip into reserves. And so the question is, just at what level do reserves drop to? Which I believe it's about two point five trillion that the Fed feels comfortable with overall. But the issue here is that that's that's it's an imbalance. It's not it's not evenly distributed. And so, and I'll grab a chart here for you, Scott. Um, for you to for you to show just just how imbalanced it is and and the issue is that if we do get below that that 2.5 trillion dollar level then you you start seeing uh you you start seeing some cracks in the in the repo market or you'll see sofer flare up and and uh and you'll start seeing illiquidity issues, and that's that's really what we're what we're looking out for. It's a huge, huge, huge indicator on liquidity going forward. And this all points back to why is the Fed being so called dovish? Why does the why does the market believe we're going to have so many rate cuts this year if economic indicators are showing a soft landing? Everything's good, you know. It well, I mean, they're they're conflicting signals. Let's be fair, but. We certainly aren't just being driven into recession this in the first weeks of this of this year. So why is everybody so certain that Fed funds is going to come down? And the reason is this: we're looking at liquidity and the and the possibility of liquidity issues, in uh, especially in the Treasury market. And that's what everybody should be watching for this week, in my opinion. That battle between monetary and fiscal, and it doesn't seem like they even get on the phone or Zoom calls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they're, they're supposedly supposed they're they're supposed to be completely separate, but how can you separate out just the sheer cost of of the deficits we're running with the rates where they are? I mean, you have to take that into consideration if you're if you're part of uh, if you're if you're part of the system. It, it's just reality. So that's the kind of stuff. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. No, go you go ahead. Please. I, I was just gonna. No, I wanted to talk about oil again, so I want you to finish there, and then I just want to ask you yeah. one more thing. But go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So that to me is going to be with the key test of this year. Is we're seeing um, the typical um, disinflationary period, which is just normal when prices go up too much, they go down. And a little help from the Fed. Yet we're and we're seeing bonds starting to rally, yields coming down, and the stock market going up. What they haven't seen. Since um, 2011 is a period where we can see a typical recession where the stock market goes down and stays down for a while, not just 20% and the Fed saves it. 
and we go to deflation and yields decline and bond prices go up. I think we're tilting towards that, and I think the market's way offside. Now, what Dave said is completely accurate. You have to worry about supply. I've heard that since day one. I was trading treasuries in 1988 in, in the in the in the uh, T bond pits in Chicago. But then I always look over in the Bloomberg chart and I see the World Bond Index, and I see okay, the two year right now, two year note is 4.33. So let's look over to Canada four. Let's look at United Kingdom, 4.3. Germany, 2.5. Japan, 0. Um, Korea, 2.1. South Korea, 3.3. There's a lot of room for treasuries just to collapse if we go for this little normal recession as indicated by things like the yield curve. And that's the stuff that we all priced too much for last year. It was completely tilted back this year and dismissed as only been a soft landing. And that's to me is what's going to happen this year is we'll tilt a little bit this year. And you're clearly seeing it in commodities. Commodities are in a clear deflationary global recession right now. Um, Gold's the only one going up. I'm still bullish gold. And that's part of the reason I'm really worried about Bitcoin. But gold is up 6% on one-year basis. Energy's down 10%. Industrial metals are down 17% or so. Grains are down 20%. Those are trajectories, trajectories just getting started. And one thing I enjoy sometimes, the lesson I learned in the trading pits is what we used to do sometimes is, um, our kids were young then, was we take a chart and take get away from ask our kids what they thought about that chart and they didn't you know they didn't know anything about it as long as they're three years or older and i just done that recently with natural gas i'm like i don't see why i can't get below two just done it recently with crude oil i don't see why i can't get below 40. that's what it's been doing and it 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 took the biggest pump in liquidity ever in russians invasion of ukraine to get above 100 and what always happens it tilts downward so i'll just put one little anecdotal example i was in the trading pits in 1990 when saddam hussein invaded kuwait the same thing happened it went from 20 to 40 back down to 20. The low was 10 a couple of years later, and it took 13 years to get back above that high. It's doing the same thing. The big difference now is the U.S. is just a massive net exporter of energy. Yeah, what I was going to say before is it seems like the oil spike is based on temporary things. And I was going to actually give a corollary that you just did back to the Saddam Hussein days. But it seems like all these attacks on tankers, it seems like. Uh, United States military personnel being killed in Jordan, you know, on the border of Syria. I don't know. Back then, it seems like we called this war. (laughs) And, and And that the United States is pretending we're not in one for some reason. Well, so we are in a very significant, severe economic war, and the U.S. is crushing China. I mean, it's just getting started. I I would say don't underestimate. I've been reading the latest book I've been reading is um, um, The Party by McGregor about about the Chinese party. And then before that, I read Principles of Change Order by Ray Daly. It was before um, C cozied up with the unlimited French and with Putin. Game changer in world order. And before that, I read The Price of Time. It's just getting started. We've seen this before in history, but never to extent that a leader of the significant, most demand source, pull source of economic growth in Asia and commodities has cozied up with the former major enemy of the US. In, in the London friendship before the invasion. It's just getting started. And all that just means is it's economic and the US will and has been crushing it, certainly right now. Just look at our imports from uh, Mexico. Look at what's happening with nearshoring and onshore. Look what's happening with our stock market, which is due for reversion. Um, and the key thing I'm concerned about is if we're so extended now, you just look at the US stock market versus the rest of the world. You look at China's continually declining um, Hang saying um, the CSI 300. I think most 
entities out there just been waiting for stimulus to sell because they see the macro, they see the tilt, and they do read history. Yeah, I, I was talking about obviously the fact that we're like physically, literally losing soldiers and that there seems to be uh, enemies attacking the United States. But that is a very good way for us to pivot to China, which is worth talking about because the narrative of entire last year was the Chinese uh, real estate sector, obviously Evergrande, uh, and it's happening, right? Uh, Evergrande liquidation order rattles Chinese economy. We're actually seeing what uh, was threatened that the uh, Hong Kong courts setting off a daunting process to carve up the biggest casualty of a property crisis. It's upending the world's second largest economy. A quote on this, and I would love your take on this, anyone. The macroeconomic impact should be limited as the liquidation itself is unlikely to exert more pressure on the battered property sector. However, it will worsen sentiment as investors will be worried that there is a snowball effect on other pending cases. Well, I mean, it's coming out of the Hong Kong is going to be uh, driving the process that nobody knows that there's really a process, right? So, um, and if you look at the dollar bonds, they're, they're trading at a penny. So that just gives you an indication. People realize that even if there is a process, they don't expect to get any claims on any of these assets. So that that is an issue for U.S. investors. If you're invested in China, you just have to understand that you you are uh, you are beholden to that Communist Party. That's that's what it is, and you have to understand that. And so uh, it's I believe it's going to be messy, and I and I'm not surprised that we're finally. In fact, I'm surprised it took so long. That we're finally going through go. this. Yeah, yeah. Right the sudden, way down we're hitting suddenly. Yeah, Dave. I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, people were looking at Evergrande last year as China's Lehman moment, and they basically stretched it out a year in order to minimize the impact that market has already gotten creamed over there from a stock market perspective. Uh, you know, is this the, the the capitulation event? I don't know. I mean, I tend to agree with Mike in terms of the ability of authoritarian regimes to stimulate economies. At some point, they have to uh, stop kicking the can down the road. But you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I, mean, I, I just think it's it's incredible. If you had basically said that over the weekend, Evergrande was going to get liquidated at some point, you know, eight months ago you know, or earlier. Uh, and then you look at the futures this morning and you see essentially, meh, uh, no, people would have been like, no, this isn't a meh thing. This is the largest real estate developer in China. And the futures are going meh, and the market's basically not doing anything. Uh, I think, you know, to me, that, that tells you that, that, that people have kind of moved on from the story. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you always talk about your kids. My kids are much older now, but I still remember you know, at the end of the day, there's a period of time where the kids lose their attention span and it's like they just don't care anymore. And it almost seems like that's what's going on here. Oh, we've yeah, seen that with every single news headline over the past few years since social media is proliferated. We don't even talk about the Ukraine war anymore. Israel war is barely yeah. even a topic it's, of conversation. It's, it's insane in a way. But at the end of the yeah. day, the difference between Mike and I boils down to uh, that fiscal policy is overwhelming monetary policy and the Fed doesn't have a a chance to do anything other than try to engineer 
uh, you know, lower rates or keep rates down. That's why, you know, when rates got to five, they were panicking. We saw it at four. They're like, mm, okay, well, this isn't good because we see where the deficit is. And that structural deficit is a real problem. And there is no way out. I just want to be really clear about this. I'm going to continue to say it. We can talk about all the squiggles on the charts and all the Bloomberg news. There is literally no way out other than inflating away the debt. And there is a difference. Every time Mike goes through this, I think exactly the same thing. My, 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 my left brain says the Germany and the rest of the world or a lot of the world is down in the twos. Our rates are in the fours with the UK. But there is a difference. The difference is we're the, dollar, we're the world's reserve currency. And so we don't have as much control as we want. But if we didn't have the world's reserve currency, then our hollowed out manufacturing sector, everything else and the reasons that come along with it, would be uh, would be far worse. And this is an election year. So I will continue to say that. This is an election year like where, where we're being looks like we're being given to a choice between horrible and, and worse. And you know, in that particular you can choose, area, by the way, you can all choose for yourself which one is horrible, which is worse. Enjoy. I, I'm not I, I, I really don't want to get into politics other than the <laughs> fact that that no one can answer when I say horrible or worse, at least one you know who'd be running the country, and it's not the person who's the current president. Because anybody who believes Joe Biden is the current president running the country, making all the decisions, is not paying attention. We just don't know who's running the country. It's the administration. And I was commenting, you know, in you know, in skiing last week with somebody who said, Oh, they were very, very left, and whatever, you know, I can have a conversation with anybody. And they, and they kept telling the, the, the achievements of the Biden administration. I said, and I just asked them very simply, I said, listen, in your entire lifetime before this, have you ever referred to the achievements of the so-and-so administration or just the achievements of so-and-so? <laughs> and they kind of looked at me and I said, we all know why. And he laughed and he said, well, there's some truth in that. And then we changed the subject. But, you know, it, the fact is, is this administration it matters because they're going to be pulling every policy lever. So every time James talks about what Yellen's doing versus what, what the Fed is going to do, I think that's a very big deal. And so to me, the most important thing to watch is can the U.S. keep control of the long end via the tools the Federal Reserve has? And I'm curious, you know, we haven't talked about bond vigilantes, but all, the three of us are old enough, Mike. You, you remember what the bond vigilantes did. The question is: Is are we back to that, or do they they've still been effectively neutered? So I, I got to talk. Yeah. I, I gotta <laughs> pick it back First of all, we have to in markets. I think are starting to price in the increasing probability of a second, God help us, third Trump uh, administration. I say that because if he gets back in, the guy can follow you know, do this many kind of things that are inconsiderate. Who else can you do? But the bottom line is drill at will, 10% tariffs, bad for all commodities, most notably crude oil, good for gold. I've been thinking to write about it, but it's just so obvious. And he's just made it clear. The drill will is going to happen. And the problem is commodities are already in a bad tilt that way with Biden administration. So if, Clinton, if Trump gets in, it's just bad for all. It's completely deflationary from a commodity standpoint. Now, potentially more treasury debt, but you know that's a whole different story if you have deflation on the rest of the world. But the, to me, I just had to piggyback on that a little because from a, the market starting to price that in as he rises in the polls and says, this is what he's going to do. We've seen this happen. And we've seen in the grains. That's when you put in 20-year lows in grains when he started that trade war. 
Um, and it's drill will crude oil hung around 50 and at 77 it's really expensive if there's that election tilting that way and the stock market was supposed to go to zero if he didn't get elected last time and it's at all-time highs so uh, he's as good as predicting what happens but with markets I, as the rest of us I, it's not even a statement against him i'm just saying like you can't listen to what any of the politicians say the economy's going to be like if they get elected you can't say that it's yeah. good for a republican or a democrat to get elected i wrote a whole newsletter on that recently went back and looked every idea of what's going to happen to the market after the election has always been wrong so oh. it, it, it's so true. But one thing I want to tilt back on, on a little bit and I'll go over to James a little bit with this idea of bond vigilantes. The lesson I've learned in the almost four decades in the business is every time yields spike because of increase in supply, they've been buying opportunities for treasury bonds, particularly if you're in a recession. And that's why I point out if you want to go any place in the world in the U.S., this dollar that everybody seems to hate, you're getting 5% and guaranteed to get it back. And by the way, you have the full faith and protection of, uh, and government of U.S. military behind you, too. I mean, you're not getting it anyplace else. So it's unstoppable there. But I hope we don't have to test it. Um, and I think we have last year tested it pretty well. 5% two-year notes, 5% long bonds didn't last very long. But we're having those deflationary forces. It's, it's to me, the test is if we just get a normal recession, which we haven't really had since 2008, and we get typical deflation as you get for a recession. If bond yields don't drop in that environment, that's a problem. But like I said, we are that we have that enormous privilege. The thing that's really changed is both last two administrations treated the U.S. deficit as something that didn't matter and just kept spending for more votes. James, uh, yeah. So let's talk through that. If you, I brought up a, that chart. If you want to show it, um, there's uh, it shows the. The reserve, so the reserve distributions, and you can see how concentrated it is in the top banks, right? So it's super concentrated. And remember, back in September 2019, you guys all remember the the uh, the the repo issue in 2019, and you had a lot of tax payments. You had a larger uh, treasury um, auction sizes, and it, the the it just locked up. The repo market locked up. So what you know, what the issue is here, and what Mike is talking about is. Okay, so if we if we do continue to grow these longer, like if the treasury tilts away from T bills and starts issuing longer term uh, treasuries, then they're going to have to draw money out of reserves. So how how much is available for that? And so then you go back to okay, if it drops below two point five trillion, that makes the Fed feel uncomfortable. If they start easing off the QT pedal, right? They stop, they stop QT or they pivot from there. Then you know that the issue at hand is not about the economic indicators. It's not about the economy. It's about worries about liquidity if they start lowering rates. So it's kind of like they're playing a game of chicken here, right? So how far can the Fed go keeping rates where they are with before something does, they we do actually have a, a cascading effect on the economy because at some point high rates will affect the economy. There, it's all lagging, right? But if you see the Fed start to lower rates before you see any economic indicators, then you know that this is the issue that they're worried about liquidity. And so back to the bond vigilantes, if the if bond vigilantes do start pushing that long end of the curve up in, in the interest rates up in the long end of the curve, it's because they know that they, they expect 
the Fed to allow for long-term high perpetual inflation, and they want to be paid for that. And so that's where the issue is. So the question is, do we have some sort of failure before that? Do we have another Silicon Valley Bank or something unforeseen in the credit markets that causes a, a, a steep and quick uh, down a drawdown? That that's that is the question that remains, and we're all watching for that. And so I mean, we talked about this. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, James, we talked yeah, about this a few weeks weeks ago when Powell sort of unexpectedly unexpectedly pivoted with his language when nothing was broken. Didn't seem like there was any reason for them to even talk about lowering rates if the economy was humming and it had everybody saying, "What do they know that we don't?" Right. So, and this isn't even this isn't even fiscal policy. This is just seeing the market. They they have they have a, an obligation to keep treasury markets liquid in order to keep high confidence right. in investing in them in order to keep high confidence in the dollar that's that is what they're it's it's essentially what the job their job is it's not to manage interest rates and it, it's to make sure that there's confidence in the dollar when you go to the first principles of it so that's what we're and so why are they doing that why why are they why are they turning a little bit dovish if signs of right Signs of deterioration, deterioration in the Fed districts, all the Fed districts um, reports, the beige books, all that. That's from our, from our yeah. economists. And, and there's many other reasons I'm showing the deflation. But I just want to point out one thing. If you're short in U.S. Treasuries, your counterpoint that can rip your face off is the Fed. And I'd say good luck. Because if you think rates are going to keep spiking because of this, they'll come in and rip your face off. I've seen it happen. <laughs> We've all seen it happen. Yeah. They're at the buyer last resort and to they, like they, they're monetizing that and they'll just prevent it from happening. If it's destabilizing the economy, they can buy all they want. And they have the deepest pockets on the planet. hundred percent agreed. And I don't, and I don't think you should be shorting treasuries. No way. I don't think you should be out there waiting for vigilantes. I, that, that is not, I, I think my base case, Mike, is that we have some sort of credit event in this mm -hmm. year, if if the Fed keeps rates at this level for yeah. more than three to six months, I think that, that that is a very real possibility. So no, I so, wouldn't do that. And if you do, it would be a momentary shot for you to uh, make that trade and then it's done. It's just like March of 2020, the Fed just dumps massive liquidity into the market and, and steps in there and starts buying because they need it liquid. That's right. I, I agree 100%. James, well, I think we, we just, get a credit event uh, 27 hours after the election. That, that's what so we've had we've had uh, we've had it in trucking. Trucking's down about a third or so. I've got a brother-in-law in business. We're having it in the mortgage business. Some parts of housing. It's clearly depression type business. Container boards. Um, the latest update is just showing as bad as it was in 2008, declining. I mean, there's all these early signs. And the key quote from Anna was that Fed might just want to be ahead of the game. The point is, inflation's still high. Inflation yeah, but, okay. I want to pay Dave. I'm going to let you you go run in a second. But Mike, you just gave me the perfect segue to the next topic, so I have to bring it up. I've literally had this sitting behind uh, the stage right here. So we have a uh, we have trueflation here. Let me uh, share it to the stage, which says that we're actually at 1.81%. I don't know if anyone uses trueflation, but U.S. government reported rate 3.4%. So we started digging before the show into obviously what's happening with inflation, and there's some really interesting stories, and it seems that. Everybody has conflicting views on this, right? Mm -hmm. Fed's inflation battle hinges on convincing Americans price hikes are done. I loved this quote from Del Giorno, right? Anyone knows huge food company. Turkey, they did not raise their prices on people as inflation went up. And this is what he said. Turkey meets roast beef ham. It's crazy. We have eaten as much margin as we can. 
What they're reporting is not what we are experiencing, he says, of the government's inflation statistics. Then you get into the BOE, which literally they're basically saying the people whose job it is to predict their uh, forecasts have been wrong every single time for the first time in history. For a year, nobody has any idea what the hell is going on with inflation. Good luck. Then you have Krugman coming in and saying we're, we're calculating inflation wrong. The fight is over. We should be looking at core PCE, not core CPI. We can get into the reasons why. Then you have people coming in like Kyle Bass and saying, dude, what are you talking about? Like, if you look at the actual numbers, the real number is over 40% in the last three years combined. What am I getting at here? Nobody seems to have any idea what's happening with inflation, period. Right? And do you think that's an accident? No, of course not. There you go. There you go. That's what, I'm saying. that's what I'm saying. Out of you, the you have, administration... You all you hear out of the administration is is time after time over the last number of months is inflation's coming down and it, it they're trying to project this. It's getting better. It's not getting better. That's why people are frustrated. Well, that's that's why I love that quote from Del Giorno. That's what really got me thinking about this. This, this is the guy who knows. He's the one whose margins are being eaten by you know by selling these food products to people, and he says those are not the real numbers. I mean, it, it, look at the end of the day. If you talk about things where we can't import our way out or where we haven't gotten lucky or smart, however you want to look at it in terms of commodities, I mean, what Mike talks about with commodities is very true. I mean, technology means we can drill for oil cheaper, uh, right? You know, we, we, there are things that are very sensitive to technology and, you know, we managed to improve the supply side. You talk about car insurance, house insurance, basically any insurance, which is a huge component of a lot of people's, you know, what they do. Uh, you talk about education, you talk about all the stuff that, that, that you cannot, you know, get out of. Uh, inflation is insane. I mean, ask anybody who lives in a condo what their HOA fees have done. I saw one in Miami recently that that was advertising a twelve thousand dollar a month HOA fee. Or anybody in anybody in Florida, what their ins house insurance is now? If you can I, trust me, I, I know. I mean, you know, I, I, my mortgage is not even half my. It is less than half of, and of course, I got a three and a quarter percent mortgage, so you know, whatever. But uh, it's less than half of my payment. And I, by the way, I put thirty plus percent down. So, you know, it's like, sure, but the mortgage compared to the insurance and HOA fees is lower. Just just think about that for a second. And, and, and that's obviously going to do nothing but go down, right? Because the mortgage is fixed. So the percentage is going to get lower. It, look, it, the fact is, is whatever one believes is going on with inflation, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury cannot afford to have long rates go up. Mike is right. They need the traders to continue to be conditioned by fear. They need the traders out there to be unwilling to short so that the only reason that the, that the long rates would go up is people just don't want to buy, right? You know, and, and it's as simple as that. They cannot afford to let, you know, the, and, and, and for people who don't understand what this is, I mean, I, I happen to have been sitting in London in the early 90s, and you can read books about this. There have been multiple ones about what George Soros did to the pound and what was going on around that. Look, the governments in Europe and the UK lost control of the markets completely, and the markets took them to the woodshed, and, and, and it, was, it wasn't pretty. I mean, Soros made you know, an enormous amount of money 
uh, by breaking the pound, as it were. Now, I'm not saying the U.S. is vulnerable. I think the fact is, is the Fed is dramatically stronger. And I think Mike is right. Traders are conditioned not to take the other side of that. But, you know, we do need to understand that if you're if your deficit is as big as it is, and James is great about tweeting out that number, you know, <laughs> it, it is a big problem. And that interest payment is a big problem. Believe me, they don't like it at four. They want long rates to be at two and a half because it's the only way we can afford it. The question is, is there market demand for anyone other than the Fed to buy it? Because the Fed's already contributing. This is the first year the Fed's going to be a net contributor to the budget deficit. Generally, they make money. I mean, what, what are they down? 130 billion or something like that, James? I, yeah. I <laughs> they're, they're not making money. <laughs> no. So that, that is, but don't, don't under, uh, don't. And that just adds to, it just adds to the deficit because that's what the, tre the treasury is supposed to be making money off the Fed and they're not, they're losing money. That's right. right. So, and so it's, it's kind of a big deal. So when you look at all this, I mean, look, the, the, the shadow memories in my, and it's different because of course history doesn't repeat it rhymes, but the shadow memories of this election year reminds me a lot of the 2000 election. And in 2000, we saw a very, oh, yeah. very turbulent tax season uh, where the tech stocks that the internet stocks that had led the market up just got bloodied and battered. But then we saw a rally into the fall and then we all know what happened after the election and into 20, into 2001, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all uh, to see that that sort of action. I never would. But being the lone bull here I uh, on Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin is the other side of that trade. I really do. I think that, you know, it, it's funny, the smart, I always, one of my favorite indicators in the stock market, and I'd be curious, Mike, you could tell me what's going on there because I don't know, is what are insiders doing? Uh. But when insiders, when insiders are confident, the stock market six to months to a year later, it, it tends to be higher. When insiders are dumping, the stock market uh, tends to be lower. If you look at the hash rate versus of Bitcoin, which is really the confidence of miners, uh, it's at an all-time high. And it's been one of the best looking up into the right charts ever. At the same time as the price of Bitcoin, well, we all know. I mean, it's kind of, it's sitting in a trading range. And we talk about this the last couple of weeks. I mean, you know, 42, the 38 and a half to 42 and a half range is sort of, you know, kind of a channel that's between two FIB retracement levels from the original rally. And so it's kind of sitting here doing nothing. It's, it's met. And, and honestly, the longer it's met, the more you get a coiled spring effect. I'm going to give you another chance to earn another meal from you, which I will always pay you back, is I bet you, I'll give you one-to-one -one odds, which you probably love, that Bitcoin's going to outperform, I'm sorry, that gold's going to outperform Bitcoin this year. Right. Oh, I'm sure you'd love to Done. Done. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. until okay, December done. 31st. <laughs> now, wait, wait, wait. Is that yeah, in we have a the, year or December 31st? December, so by December 31st from here. This year. The calendar 2024 year. Right. Yeah. From January Bitcoin 29th or from January year. 1st. I, I, I freely believe that. I think Bitcoin is on the path for demonetizing gold. I think it's in the same way gold demonetized silver. It didn't happen overnight, but it certainly happened. You know, and, and it's funny. Not that bad. Yeah, so that's fine. Although we do need to pick a time for, uh, you know, when Scott's going to be in Miami next. So. No, it's going to be exactly. next. I'm in Miami and we're going to fly James in. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, I, I think that the, but the reason I, I am that way about Bitcoin, other than the insiders doing it, is I still say Bitcoin is a vote against confidence in the, the structural integrity of the system. And everything we're talking about, uh, you know, wars and, you know, politics and, you know, got, you know, there's so many possible interesting, you know, black or I don't know what color swan event. I don't What's the color <laughs> of an event where our election goes to the House of Representatives because we can't get a winner in the Electoral College? And, it, 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 you know, it, depending on who it could happen. Right. You know, if, if, if Kennedy is continuing to poll at 20 percent, you know, it could easily happen. So and what's so the problem you, with that? It's just going to take votes from Democrats and it's going to tilt towards uh, Trump winning well, the election. It's not so obvious. It's, it's it's They're even talking about, I saw stories about Kennedy being a VP for Trump because he wants to come, go on the popular side. <laughs> I I mean, who the hell knows? <laughs> I'm just saying our politics are so Certainly entertaining. Right <laughs> it's entertaining in, in, in just a very sad way. But the truth is that guys, we are 29 days into the year so far, and this is just starting. It's going to get oh, it's going to be There's going to be all sorts of. The only prediction I I am very confident in with any asset is volatility. Uh, I, I am I guess I lean bearish on the on the tech stock, which basically is the market because of the, the big seven. Uh, in the sense of I think that they've run a long way. I wouldn't be shorting it, no way. But you know. It's because it's just too hard, right? Unless you're sitting at the screens every day and you're a technical trader. And then Scott has plenty of guys who are far better at this than I am. But I do fear that there is something lurking. I think that we do need to understand at its core that we are we are literally in the season of the biggest brains on Wall Street marketing Bitcoin as a hedge against uh, inflation and distrust in government. And I do believe broadening that base of investors is a very big deal. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to vote. Oh, I, I got my I I'm the first one to look, vote. Look, look, <laughs> I, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, I didn't show you guys, but while you were doing that, I'm multitasking. We have another bet. McGlone just bet Dave Weisberger on Macro Money that gold would outperform Bitcoin 2024. I put it out to the uh, to the to the crowd. We'll, we'll get it. But now we're. Dave, I know you. I know Mike. You want to see this go like ninety percent Bitcoin? No, well, right? I, I no, I fully, I fully expect the idiot word is going to come out, and I, I hope to get that because I've never been right in a call without being called an idiot, and that's what people need to understand when you've been in the business as long as we have, and you have to tweak that. And the people who get mad at me, I'm like, okay, well, I know your position now, so I want to give you one little iteration for this year. The <laughs> The, the total return, the average return since beginning this millennium for the S&P 500 and NASDAQ on an annual basis has been 7%. Upper, uh, 7% has been the return uh, on an annual, you know, like last year was obviously much more. And you know what money supply has been up on an annual basis, M2, is 6.4%. So what's driving things? So my point is, let's look at the iterations for there. Just use, we're already up almost 3% this year. So we're already into maybe an 8%, 9% annual return year in the S&P 500. Just imagine if we're down 8% on the year. That's the iteration the market is nowhere, even not even conceived of. So when you're a trader putting on positions, that's where your VIG is. Well, what's my position? Where can I make money? Well, it's already priced for the 8 to 10% return. Everything is. Just put that iteration in your head. At the end of the year, we're talking, see, S&P 500 was down 8%. What does that do for everything? That's my point is I, I look at it. it. That is such a low probability in most people's minds. Then if you're structuring options and positions, that's where your VIG is. I'm telling you, the election is November 5th. I think the market crashes on November 6th, 7th, 8th. <laughs> Somewhere, somewhere in that, uh, somewhere in that. I think that they, at this point, I do think that they can prop it up 
that long if they need to. James, so, I see you have a chart. Bro. Okay, go ahead, yeah. Mike, and then James. No, again, the question is, where have you not heard? I heard, to me, it's the same thing as I remember hearing in 2005 and six when the housing market started going down as old. Oh, housing market's never been down on an annual basis in the US. I'm like, yeah, well, it's never been up as much. You're hearing the same thing now. The, house, the market's always up in election years. I'm like, okay, after a year, we've up 25%. And after the biggest liquidity pump in history with China in decline, well, yeah. And, and this the most controversial president in history running. I just, just like, okay, this is great. But it's a, the point is, market's so priced for one side. It was like the opposite last year, which I was wrong on the recession, right in commodities. It's just so far to one side. I'm like, yeah, the risk is it just tilts back a little bit. No, they're gonna we're gonna get bumps, but I mean a real tilt. James, uh, this, something brought up there. Now this is just this was Dave's point about the the Fed what they what they owe the Treasury, and you know this is they call this a deferred a deferred asset. <laughs> so i mean it's like this is the clown show we're talking about here like this is what the this is a deferred asset now on the on you know that looks like when a stable coin depegs <laughs> that's what that chart looks like ludicrous right it's what so happens it, when you assume that everything that has been will continue this is this which is, is the, which is, by the way is the point mike just made no, I, I don't disagree, but I, the dis, where I disagree with Mike is I think, you know, to quote, you know, a money manager who I used to follow, who totally doesn't believe that nothing virtual can have value. He's sort of in the Peter Schiff camp. This guy named Bill Fleckenstein is one of the smarter, more erudite people who you, you can understand about the market. And he basically says in a in, in this sort of economy, in a fiat economy, all roads lead to inflation. And he's a gold bug for that reason. Uh, I haven't seen what he said in the last couple of years, so I don't know what he thinks about Bitcoin. Maybe, maybe any other people do. But it, at the end of the day, the fact is, is where Mike and I disagree at the core is I think we live in a simulation of a manipulated economy. And I think that it, the, the, the manipulators are going to throw uh, as much liquidity at the system to keep the ball rolling as they can, particularly this year. I, I said, if you all remember, I said the same thing last year. So the difference is, is I, yeah, I think that deficits are a very big deal. I think we are rapidly approaching a level which is unsustainable in the United States and all roads lead to inflation. It is literally the only way to get out of get out of the debt hole that we're in as the dollar without losing the dollar as a reserve currency. And I think that we understand we need the dollar to be the reserve currency. You know, because at that point, what would happen to consumer instead of asset inflation, which is what they want, uh, you'll end up with consumer inflation, and that's what they don't want. And so, the, one of the reasons we can't define inflation is because we have somehow, over the last thirty years, ignored the greatest financialization bubble in the history of the world. Right? You know, what was the what was the financial stocks the component of the S and P in nineteen eighty two? I think it was around ten percent. Now it's forty percent. You know, and, and if you take tech into account, it's even worse. And so it's a big deal. So I think that this is this is yeah. the game. Mike. Sorry, I thought. Uh, I yeah, it was funny. Um, I just had to piggyback our our, our uh, chief, um, Michael Casper, our chief um, technical strategist and equities point out that tech is now over a third of the S&P 500 yet of total GDP. It's about 8%. There you go. And so you have tech and financials are dramatically overpulling their weight in, in stock prices uh, and, and in the economy compared to what they should be. And the reason is because of financialization where, you know, basically lower than market interest rates for so long. 
now, arguably, we have higher, we have the you know, positive real rates for the first time in a while, and things is, and that's why James's base case is something's going to break. And it's not. Well, it's not I, I think you answered. I mean, we we've given this answer before, but I think you just answered the simple question as to why Powell gave the pivot language so early, and it's just because they can't afford the stick. Well, because he went <laughs> it, when he did it months before he actually does it gives in the air cover to do it without having to say because if do you think powell doesn't know yeah. the chart that james and mike show you know weekly mm -hmm. which is when fed cuts rates that's when the markets crash you think he doesn't know that of course he knows that and so I, part of the the you know this is the, the the famous you know game of chess so what do you do well you tell people you're going to do it first and so that way when you do it you're saying well you know you all knew about it this was not a surprise rate cut we're not panicking you know, I told you we might be doing that. Well, no, yeah, but you told us that you expected you were going to have to panic later in the year. I mean, that's really all you really said. Minimize volatility. But yeah, well, I, I clearly I, cannot choose a glass of wine in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the fact <laughs> is, is that the difference between Mike and I is we actually agree far more than we disagree is I just have, I won't use the word faith. It's actually the opposite. I just believe that our cowardly, leading class is going to do everything they can to kick the can down the road the only game they have is liquidity that's what i think that that's the difference yeah that's exactly right and so that so when we when we listen to everybody this week we're going to hear we're going to hear from uh the treasury not janet or, well maybe she'll get she'll she'll have a press <laughs> conference we're gonna we're gonna hear from the treasury we're gonna hear from the fed we're gonna hear the presser and the things we're looking for is okay well how dovish are are we um, how big, first of all, from the treasury, just how much are they going to issue? Like how much are they going to borrow? How dovish is the fed? Um, and, uh, which end of the curve are, is the treasury going to lean on? And then what does Powell say, if anything about QT, like, where is that program going and how, and how are they going to taper that off? And if you start hearing him say that, you know, I think we're 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 accomplishing our goals in QT, and and we'll you know we're we're going to be metered in our approach. Well, then you know that they are extremely concerned about liquidity in this first quarter, and that's that's kind of what we're looking for. Do I expect them to say that? No, I don't. But if if they do, that's a that's a strong indication in my mind. Hey guys, we managed to basically not talk about Bitcoin for 50 minutes, which I think is pretty impressive. ETF, ETF, ETF. <laughs> Say it. There you go. We got to we got to get our shots in before. Uh, I'm going to do coffee shots now this time. But but we do need to talk about it. This was the uh, lead uh, for the title here. Chris Berniski, a lot of people may know, he was the crypto lead at Kathy Woods. Ark, he thinks we're going back definitely to the 30 to 36 range, potentially well down into the 20s. Everybody's giving this a lot of airtime. I love they said, continue to think we go lower to consolidate than most people expect due to variables that are too many to explain in detail via tweet. Uh, sources, trust me, bro, right, <laughs> uh, is basically what he's saying here. But making the case that he thinks we're way overheated, I think Michael liked this, that um, likely to go way, way down, but he does still think that that's the last dip before way up, which seems to be sort of the uh, consensus here. But Mike, I'm assuming 20s wouldn't surprise you at all. It would. Um, to me, it, if you just one thing, sometimes I enjoy doing is, like I said earlier, is just getting back, looking at a chart and trying to ignore fundamentals. Um, and I, I completely agree with Dave says the fun. I can't 
not avoid declining um, supply, increase in demand and adoption. But 30 is just a normal pivot in, in Bitcoin and 50 was expensive. We all knew that was seriously silly at 50 because of the reasons. And right now it's pretty, seems pretty happy and well-priced, but it's like my bent is, I love when people say, oh, it's going to go up into the refunding. I'm like, sure, if the stock market's up, of course, it'll go up. It's they got a, basically a three beta to the S&P 500. Yes, there's in, iterations in there. And I showed you earlier, if you take Bitcoin since like 2011 on an annual basis, it's like a 65 beta to the S&P 500. It's turning into a mature market. So to me, that's got to change. I haven't seen any signs whatsoever of it changing its high correlation, high volatility, high beta to the beta. Uh, that it is. Now, that's why I like to make the point out if beta goes down, the first place that probably should be is treasuries, which don't always go down right away in terms of yield, and gold, which doesn't always go down right away in terms of price. But Bitcoin might lead. And so far, you could look at it this year as it might be the leading indicator. I look at it versus gold. Gold is, you know, Bitcoin gold ratio has been underperforming beta for five years or so. I, I, I don't agree. Uh, but I don't agree specifically because the well, first of all, I, I don't know what measure of Bitcoin gold you're looking at, but you know we're going to take gold at you know whatever two thousand the beginning of the year, Bitcoin at forty some odd thousand, and we'll see where it goes. But Bitcoin, and we say it every time, is an option. The monetary component of gold, whether you believe it's five trillion dollars or ten trillion dollars, is important. My wife and I, I we were talking, we were doing, we were in house and they were looking at silver jewelry and whatnot and somehow the topic of platinum came up with a jeweler and Polly was like well how much more expensive is a platinum ring than a gold ring and they said well wait a minute platinum which is 30 times rarer than gold in the earth is actually cheaper than gold it's like half the price per ounce and she's how could that be good platinum is you know better right you know gold. And, and and the reason is because a lot the huge percentage of gold's price is its monetary use whether it's people buying jewelry not because they care what it looks like in in India on Diwali for, you know, savings or, you know, savings from central banks, which have been the biggest buyer of gold over the last couple of years. It's the monetary side. Bitcoin is still a 10th to a 20th. You know, so more than an order of magnitude cheap if Bitcoin is going to become a monetary asset. And so whenever we look at these squiggles on the chart, it's important to understand that. So if you get to a point where Bitcoin gets to price discovery, it can do dramatically more. That's the reason you talk about in terms of beta. Beta implies a correlation, right, that I don't really think is there. I can easily see a world and, and God knows Bitcoin has not been correlated to the stock market on any metric over the last year. For, and so I don't see that. Sure that was. Correlation. Stock market went up last year. Bitcoin went up last year. That's correlation. Uh, Isn't that a random it, in the well, park? It on, <laughs> I, I'm just messing yeah. with the day, but it did happen. Stock market went down in 2022. Bitcoin went down more. That's correlation. Well, last three years, the correlation is about 3x. I mean, if you look on an annual basis, Bitcoin doesn't go up unless yeah. the stock market goes up, unless maybe in the first days when it was a baby. But now, since futures are launched, it's been... More I mean, adults. Bitcoin got crushed in 2022 Wait. because of massive overleverage and forced selling. Bitcoin in 2023 recovered. Well, what's, can you say the same thing about the commodity market? I mean, about the stock market? It just well, the high. thing that's interesting is, is, was is I will continue to say this. Commodities, I agree with your thesis on commodities. Bitcoin's not a commodity per se. It's an option on that commodity because at the end of the day, it's a question of acceptance. If pe more and more people, you get to critical mass of people who believe Bitcoin will be a monetary asset, there's just not, it's just way too small. So, that, that, so let's, that's let's, the issue. 
Yeah, so let's talk through that because, Mike, if you look at where Bitcoin has come from, so let's talk about just just the uh, the the TA the charts versus the fundamentals. You know, so if you look at where Bitcoin came from on this on this last move, right? So it's up seventy percent ish. I you'd have to go down. You'd be it'd be down fifty percent to go down from the highs on the day of the launch to go down to thirty thousand. I don't I don't see that happening. Um, could it happen? Of course, it's Bitcoin. Could we retrace back to 37,000? Absolutely. I think that that's absolutely well, well within the possibility of, of, of Bitcoin, but that's just looking at trading, right? So looking at the levels and looking at the, the uh, support levels. But if you step back and, and, and we go to what Dave is talking about, it, it has been existing as an option on this commodity. And now we have this, this new, we have these new securities that, that you, they're traded, settled, uh, they're they're marketed just like any other stock in the world. So it's just like buying gold in an ETF, except the, I would argue better because of the the nature of Bitcoin and the ability to see what's actually in the address that that uh, that, that ETF manager holds. But uh, so if you if you just think about that. And we step back with what has happened over the last few weeks. The, the two and a half weeks that these things have been trading, or a little less than, they, we had this massive unlocking of the GBTC. We've all seen it. There's half a billion dollars a day for, for almost two weeks. And now it's that's tapering off a little bit. We'll see if that continues to taper off. I think it will. And then on the flip side, of course, we didn't get the the institutional adoption instantaneously. That takes a little bit of time, but as we do see the institutions lean into this, allow their you have a little bit of education around it. People are looking for something that is the next. That they are looking for that digital gold, and as they get to the understanding around it, that's the key. And that's going to take time, but I think that that just snowballs. Does it become this god candle event? It could, if 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 liquidity dries up completely, uh, you could have this this massive candle. But I think it's more of a a consistent set of candles upwards over the period of the next few months that really drives this price higher because of that institutional understanding and broad adoption with people who just don't understand how to buy it off an exchange and have your own wallet and or you know signing device and managing the keys like that's just too much for most people yeah and i know James that Bitcoin, go ahead sorry yeah, yeah bitcoiners they rail against people about this but investors are not they they don't expect to have to deal with things like that they expect to have to, to to be able to just buy and settle it with their broker like a normal thing and if it's abnormal it scares them so this is this makes it normal to them and it's going to drive adoption in my opinion so by, I, by I, the way it's no different than gold the difference is is there are cultures whole cultures with a billion people which is totally used to owning gold as a financial asset as part of their hustle. And yeah, there's, there's, there's a much smaller, two orders of magnitude smaller number of Bitcoiners who understand that you can do it ourselves. I mean, obviously we all do, right? So, you know, we understand that, but, but, but this issue Bitcoin. is a big deal. Right. So, it's, it's just like Jeremy Diamond said. I don't disagree. You're, you're saying things that I've written about five years ago. Oh, completely agree. It was about time they got to this ETFs. Just 
Show me the beef. Show me the beef of that performance. That's why I, I right. can't wait to get on this program and say, hey, I can see definable signs of my value at risk model that this Bitcoin gold ratio is outperforming beta. That's and right. I don't see that. Right now, I see crocodile gels. I see S&P 500 going straight up and say Bitcoin going down. Just show me the beef. That's my point. As I'm, as now, I look, at how much Bitcoin, look at how much Bitcoin ran prior to that, right? So that's it's important. That's my point. It's it, it, the, in the, the history that I expect to hopefully live long enough to write and to teach to students is the all-time high in Bitcoin came with the biggest liquidity pump in history and the back of this asset was designed to offset everything you talked about. I mean, it's a whole history of Satoshi's Nakamoto, Nakamoto's white paper. So the fact is that the high was the biggest liquidity history in history. Nowhere even comparison to some, even the, the big pump in 1929. And the fact is that that was the high still makes me kind of concerned. Like, okay, well, maybe people are just, and that everybody's so excited about Bitcoin. You look at a normal risk manager, hedge fund, like I'm going to try to buy what everybody hates and maybe Lighten up what everybody loves at the moment. That's my point. Let me show me the beef. Let me There's see no normal restaurant manager. Had, <laughs> here's, here, here's the thing, Mike. So, you're, you're the trade, the trade, wait, wait, just finished. The trade last year was to buy GBTC. That trade's over. Thank you very much. We'll wait for the next trade. Okay. So my point is the all-time high of 60 whatever, you know, Nine. 60 whatever, whatever it is on oh, 14th 69. of November of 2021. Everyone looks at it in terms of price space. What I think you should do is take that price and divide it by the hash rate, which at the time uh, was 167 you know, terahashes. We're now at 500 terahashes and the price is where it is. Divide those two. And I believe in history, you're probably correct. That is the all-time high. It will never be touched if you normalize for the hash rate. So essentially right now, that will be 180 plus thousand, just you know, roughly speaking. Uh, you know, you can calculate however the hell you want to calculate it, whether you do it smoothed or whatever, but somewhere around 180,000. That's where the all-time high is if you do it right at the tantrum. We're trading at 40. Uh, we are not. We are so far from an all-time high in Bitcoin right now, completely because the liquidity hadn't, you know, it flew out of it because of the, the issues of 2022. And the price went down. And the, and the stock market has caught up and is at an all-time high because that liquidity is still there. That to me is the arb trade, the, the trade, the Mike Alfred trade, which didn't do so well last year, but probably wasn't that horrible of Bitcoin versus the S&P feels like it feels like 2024. That's the trade. Uh, will that I'd love to see Bitcoin it or Bitcoin versus it. NASDAQ? But we'll see. I prefer Bitcoin versus gold. I think it's a more of a layup trade. And so that's why I like the bet, because, <laughs> you know, I can easily see the can kicking working for the stock market this year, even though my gut tells me it shouldn't. And so yeah, that's, exactly. I'm kind of in, the, in that range. But I just want to be clear that when you and I look at all-time high, I'm thinking relative to the strength of the network. And you're thinking in absolute terms. No, right. I'm thinking of lessons of market wizards, which I learned in the trading pits, the new Charlie G. Francesca. It's the number on the statement. What's my money? Bottom line. Sorry, I'm an ex-trader. I might not see what my statement well, number is. I make money, that. I lose money. And but I'd lost money. But there's no there. difference to me in saying that what's my dollar price of Amazon relative to earnings or relative to revenue, at least, or price to sales. And, and the thing about the internet bubble that was so cool in the 2000s was nobody cared. And in fact, almost every stock that turned to profitability when they first turned to profitability got hammered because all of a sudden people couldn't value it as a story anymore. Yeah. They could value <laughs> it as okay. an actual financial <laughs> asset. And so I, 
I, I go back to Graham and Dodd. At some point, there is a there is a beef there. There is some reason to believe in a financial asset. In Bitcoin, that metric is usage, hash rate, network, etc. You know, adoption. In stocks, it's it's sales or projected sales and projected you know cash flows, right? You know, it's like I, I run a company, and that's what company, your traditional investors are. Right. I mean, coin routes, you know, right. people think we're crazy because we're profitable. Well, right. You know, and we're growing well, that's, slower that's, than other crazy people in our space. But, you know, it's what gold and commodity people have been fighting forever is what are the earnings? Well, that's right. Well, it, it's because it's it gold is the measuring stick against which financial assets are measured in large measure. It used to be the total one. Now it's less than 10 percent. But the fact of the matter is that's the whole issue. Will Bitcoin become that measuring stick? And if you think that's not why Elizabeth Warren really cares, you're not <laughs> paying attention. They don't want a measuring stick that they can't control. At least the U.S. had the ability to do something with the gold price. And whether that something is Jamie Dimon and the billions in fines he's paid over the years to change the gold price or not, it's a there's some level of control. If you think that, that the U.S. government and that people like Elizabeth Warren aren't being told by her staffers that we can't allow this Bitcoin to be a measuring stick because we can't control it as well, you're not paying attention. I believe that that's at the end of the day why something that should be literally a foundational plank in any progressive, i.e. Bitcoin, for financial inclusion is again, the progressives are against it is because they're worried that they won't be able to do all the other stuff they want to do if there's a really good measuring stick. That's what I think. That's my gut. And I've been saying that for a while now. Makes a lot of sense. We're out of time, James. I know you wanted to jump no, in and get a final. Okay, cool. Uh, I do want to say because you we 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 did bring up the ETF just very quickly that the BlackRock ETF now has over two billion assets under management. A absolutely astounding numbers. Now we're thinking that Schwab might come in, according to Eric Baltrunas, with <laughs> ten bips fee is what he's uh, predicting, which would still be half of the ones that are going to be unprofitable because they're too low. Right. So, I mean, you take a look and this has just been an astounding success with the market cap. I mean, GBTC is still 21, but, you know, with uh, BlackRock at two, Fidelity at 1.8, when these GBTC outflows end, uh, it's going to take take a lot for the price to, to not yeah. go up, I think. I think the short term. Right. And I think that this is the case of if you build it, they will come. And now we've got the we've got the super highway built out. The on-ramps are being built and people will come to the space and they'll start to understand it in that in in the way that Dave is talking about. And uh, whether that happens in the in the next three months, six months or two years, it, it doesn't matter. But that's happening. what's happening, period. Yeah, I, I think it was I was looking for the tweet. I couldn't find it. But BlackRock is literally this week, I think, hosting thousands of RIAs to start to explain to them what this product is and why you should be in it. It's just just beginning. I, I get email from Fidelity almost daily about yeah, Fidelity digital assets almost daily hard. digital assets. <laughs> like we're, we have we're, we're explaining them. Join our webinar. Yeah almost daily. Sorry, Mike. What was that? That's good. I'm good. Nope, I'm good. And people forget, Mike, word. I want to, I want to, the fi final point, even though we're over, people forget that Mike, you know, when we met and, and uh, we've always talked, you are a Bitcoiner. Yeah. I think people should not get confused about our, our oh, I about where I mean, price is going. Not at, at all. Given I, I mean, totally. Yeah. I look at it at a global macro standpoint. This is a revolutionary asset. It's just unheard of in terms of studying history. And then I look at that, that's all aside. I completely agree with what Dave says. That's why I look at it. Okay, well, in this case, though, it's it's showing lack of performance. I look at it shorter term basis. I need to show that performance starting to kick in. It's just showing um, that it's it's underperforming beta.
just want to be very clear that because we talk about what we think will happen in three months, six months, a year, I'm 100% sure that all four of us think that Bitcoin is inevitable in the long term and, and, are, and are extremely bullish on it. And the other thing is, guys, the best part about this show to the audience is that we don't have a bunch of people who sit here and agree and scream into an echo chamber. That's why I love it. And so uh, we need the perspectives of everybody here. I think we need more bears, to be honest. We're all pretty bearish on certain aspects of the economy. Yes. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the biggest difference between Mike and I is I actually think that in this cycle, Bitcoin will start to show its its ultimate uh, I agree. edge against that. And Mike thinks that we need another cycle or two for it to show that. And no, I see it. I, I just mean, that's need to see exactly it. that big of a difference, right? Especially if your time horizon is 12 years or 15 years. No, I just, being a trader, and we all know in traders, they usually get to sense these things first. I just, I want to see it. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, yeah. we did 1007. It's our longest show. Show me in the charts. Guys. It just, I want yeah. to see it. It's not, it's like, I, yeah, cool. Okay, go. Cool. <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. It doesn't bother me. I All just right, hate cool. to keep you guys who have actual jobs. Because I don't. I just have to go talk on Twitter spaces or X spaces. So, yeah, whatever. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow morning, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think we're working on, you're going to love it, an ETF show with Eric Valchudis and James Safer. You guys got to hear more about the ETFs. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> all right, guys. That is all we got. I'll see you, you gentlemen, next week. Bye. That's dope.